is straight to the source. Your destination for food, views and big ideas. Brought to you by two of the best in the business, Tonya Barr and Lucy Allon. Join them to discover some of Australia's most dynamic food, hospitality and agribusiness leaders. Hello and welcome to Food, Views and Big Ideas. I'm Tonya Barr. And I'm Lucy Allen. And this is the podcast from us here at Straight to the Source. In this podcast, we will be introducing you to the people who are driving our food and hospitality industry forward. Whether it be on the land, in the water, in the kitchen or from the boardroom. Each of our guests are playing a significant role in the evolution of Australia's food identity and culture. And we want you to know who they are, their views and their big ideas. Hi, I'm Tanya Barr, and I'm very excited for this episode of the Straight to the Source podcast with restaurateur and executive chef Colin Barker. He shares his transformative moments in his diverse career, from the days of old-school ugly kitchen environments to now, growing food for his rustic and refined destination restaurant and farm nestled in the beautiful Megalong Valley. So whether you're just starting out or you've been in hospitality for many years, There's something for everyone to learn from listening to a story. Hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I'm in the studio today with Colin Barker. Welcome, Colin. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. Let's just say you've been in the industry how long? Too long. <laughs> um, Obviously, not too long because you've just set off on a new venture. So we'll we'll loop back. I, that, to that I think one. that's just the case of I don't know how to do anything else. Uh, Full time, twenty three years, and then you know the usual lead up as a kitchen hand and teenage years. Um, Worked your way five. up through the ranks. Yeah, yeah. So still find myself on the pot wash. So I don't know how far I've advanced, but are you a Sydney boy? Um, I grew up rural Sydney. Um, I was out in the Hawkesbury as a kid, a little town called Moralia. Um, felt very country, not so much nowadays with the, the urban sprawl. Um, still Sydney-based with the family, but I actually spend more time up the Megalon. So five days a week in the valley and, and Monday, Tuesdays back in Sydney. Well, let's talk about your career. If you started off in the, in the washroom doing pots and pans, yep. yep. So... Where did you go? At what age was that? And what actually drove you to get that job? Um, I, look, I always wanted to be a chef um, from the earliest age, um, you know, six, seven, eight. It was just sort of fascinated with food, um, always pretty good on the tooth. And when the opportunity came up to do work experience in high school, so what's that, sort of year 10, so 14, 15, um, the best place in the area was a, a local golf resort, uh, which was Riverside Oaks. And um, got offered some casual kitchen hand work after that. And that's actually where I met my, my first chef ever, uh, John Slaughter. And uh, when oh, that would have been, what, 97-ish? And uh, we still talk to each other two to three times a week, every week. So we're still putting up with each other. Would you say you guys are, are mentors to each other or just, you know, best mates? or Bit of both. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, bit of both. So uh, John was a really big driving force and even still to this day um, in, in my career. So if I'm a bit out of line, he'll give me a clip and bring me back in. And, uh, yeah, he just he, – he obviously saw something in me as a, as, a, as a young kid and he actually came to me early on with a copy of Liam Tomlin's bank book and said, mate, he goes, when you're done here, I want you to try your hand at something like this and – that was actually my first job in Sydney uh, with banks, so very rushed, uh, jumped on the phone pretty much straight away, um, 
and then had to go to him and say, oh, that book you gave me, um, I've got to leave in nine days. Cheers, chef. So, yeah, I got, got off of the job in Sydney and, and the rest is history. So when you guys talk about that today, was it like a double-edged sword for him? Like, No, not at all. Not at all. He really wanted to see me out of there. He wanted to see me sort of spread my wings and, you know, see what Sydney had to offer and then ultimately what, what I could do internationally. So that led me to London as well. So your experience at Bank, how long were you there? Uh, 18 months. I was one of the last guys out the door when it, it all finished up. So, um, yeah, it was unbelievable. Like I'd come from a golf resort in the Hawkesbury, sort of a bit of a naive country boy, and just it was a pressure cooker of a kitchen. Um, you know, obviously Liam had quite a reputation, and um, it was something else. And that was the old school kind of... Old school routine. ugly, yeah. yeah. Huge hours, scream from sun up to sundown. You know, I reckon I worked with... Oh, 40 plus chefs in that time just the turnover was massive you know even to the point where you'd have people come to do trials and uh, they'd say they were going outside for a cigarette break and uh, they'd leave an entire roll of Japanese knives behind just because they didn't want to come back in the door just run (laughs) off (laughs) so so, but yeah look it was ruthless times and I'm sort of glad that the industry is uh, not like that anymore but I'm also really glad that I got to experience it. When you think about chefs today how when they when they come in your kitchen, are you are you that sort of chef? I mean, how have you changed your style in the kitchen? No, not at all. I think one of the great I say this to my boys and girls all the time. One of the greatest lessons that I've had over the years is when you work for someone, you can learn what to do, but you can also learn what not to do. You know, and I have worked for some amazing people um, over the years, but then I've also worked with some people where I've seen elements of the industry, and I thought, you know what, when I've got my own chance, I'm not going to do that. Mm. You know, I'm one of those guys now that uh, there's there's not a job on the on the farm or in the restaurant that I'd ask my staff to do that if I wouldn't do it myself. So it's kind of a, a lead by example arrangement. What exactly inspires you, and is it different from that young boy that you, you were working at Bank and then you went to London? Like, is it the same fire in your belly, or is it evolving and changing, or do you keep going back to? The same inspiration? Um, yeah, I suppose when you're young and you want to chase the latest trends and the flash and things like that, and I sort of landed in London um, and took a job at the Ledbury with Brett on the tail end of the molecular gastronomy scene. And we dined out in a lot of places like the Fat Duck and Azake and things like that. The food was super manipulated. And whilst there were amazing dining experiences, they didn't really resonate with me as best meals. And one of the things that I loved about working with Brett at the Ledbury, which was two star at the time, was there was always an an honesty about his food and he was always about provenance and keeping it as local as possible. And sort of being a rural boy that, you know, we did home kill lambs and we did home kill chickens and mum grew bits and pieces, that sort of struck a chord with me. And my dream was to always do something along the lines of what I'm doing right now. Um, I don't know that I sort of envisaged it being on the scale that it is, but I'm really inspired by produce. I've never been one of those guys that can look at an email or a supplier list in the morning. I've actually got to physically trip over something. Mm -hmm. So for me now, to walk around the farm and to see the crops coming on, you know, we've got six acres of organic vegetable production um, and have the opportunity to use things in different ages and stages, you know, letting things bolt and using the core or picking things up right in their infancy so they're real delicate and sweet. Um, that's still my inspiration and just about the simple things done well, uh, honest flavours. 
Well, you have quite a legacy as being the seafood chef. Yeah. So um, let's talk about that. Uh, well, the seafood thing came about for me because I've always been, long before I was a chef, I was a recreational fisherman and always had a love of seafood. Um, still to this day, I do a lot of fishing around um, Sydney and even up in the mountains now, we've got access to some really cool trout streams and some redfin and things like that. So um, that came about, I, I came back to, to Sydney and I actually wasn't going to um, jump back into the kitchen straight away. I was actually labouring for my dad as a, as a plumber's labourer and just having a bit of time because, you know, London was full on. And a mate of mine, I went and caught up with him for a beer in Sydney and then another mate turned up who happened to be the bar manager at the boathouse. Mate, you should see the fish, you'd love it, we need a sous chef. Uh, same sort of thing three days later back in town. So um, my time at the boathouse, yeah, was amazing. Um, obviously circumstances with the world at the time and all that cut that short but having said cut short that was 13 years of my life mm -hmm. um and tony pappas was an amazing man to work with and for um i still get to the fish markets on the weekly to to pick up our stuff for megalon mm -hmm. but we're not using any salt water product up there we're, we're only using sort of freshwater um or or, aqua, or freshwater aquaculture products um just i think being so far removed from the sea it'd look a little bit out of place mm-hmm um, but yeah, seafood's still a really big part of my life. Um, I caught an amazing tarragon just off Sydney the other day, and that's sustained the family for a couple of weeks. And the local kingfish are turning up soon. And yeah, it's it's um, one of the highlights of my career was um, the four days you and I spent in the Air Peninsula in South Australia. That was Australia. an awesome time. That, yeah. <laughs> that was about what fifteen years ago now or yep. something. Yep. 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 I still and remember one of the best meals I've ever had, and you know it's, it was so basic. Do you remember down in Smoky Bay we had the um, the guys put on the feed in the camp ovens cooked over Mallee root. Yes. Even down to like bread baked open yep. fire. And yeah, that was, yeah. that was pretty special. And did we have the smoked oysters then? Did yes. they have the big jar of the smoked oysters yep. then? Yeah. Yep. That, yeah. I, I've got to say, if you can go on a, on a bus for four days, it was yourself, Sean Conley and myself in yep. terms of chefs, mm -hmm. everyone else were wholesalers yes. and the wheeling and dealing and everything, go negotiations <laughs> going on. I'm still a little scarred from that actually. Yeah. It was a bit like that. Who was the other? Oh, Adam Liston. Oh um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Ad, yeah. Ad, Ad Adam was there, there as well. Yeah. He's gone on to do some really cool things. He sure has. Yeah. Uh, well, we're very lucky in this country with the amount of um, the quality of seafood that we have. I was spoiled. Yeah. Let's talk about Lot 101. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know when Boathouse, it's still closed down, right? Yeah, yep. yep. sitting exactly the way we left it. I went and had a squiz the other week. It's, it's pretty sad, actually. It's kind of a bit of rack and ruin. Um, but, yeah, I actually set a few booby traps when I left the building so I could see if anyone had been in or out. And the booby traps are still in place, so I'm assuming no one's been through the kitchen door in the best part of five years. Uh, be careful. Our listeners are going, where's the boathouse? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Find it. Dodge the, the avalanche of garbage bins. That's it. Well, Lot 101, you, you talk about your roots of living in the outskirts of, of um, Sydney and, and being a country boy. Yep. Now, you're kind of having the best of both worlds, aren't you? You're still living in Sydney, but yet you have this new venture. Yes, yeah. So we've got a bit of both, and it's... Kind of funny how it all came about. So my business partners, um, so it's my brother-in-law's brother and his wife. Um, so they were sort of regular customers at the boathouse. So they've been at me for, for years, should do something, should do something. And it just so happened that I, um, after the boathouse closed, I got picked up by a hotel group doing consulting. 
And um, my wife's birth, 40th birthday was meant to fall um, during the first lot of lockdowns, and she'd been planning it for, I don't know, I think seven years in advance. So she was devastated when restrictions cut it off. And um, basically, uh, James, um, my business partner, he rang and said, 1,000 acres, Megalong Valley, 10 cabins, they're pretty tired, but party's back on. So we did a big outdoor cook-up, and we just sort of, we kept it to 10 families, and, uh, you know, 1,000 acres you don't have to worry about social distancing too much mm-hmm. so i did a big open fire uh event a couple of big porchettas and camp ovens of veg and things like that and part way through lunch he said come and have a look at this old building and um, i probably had just enough uh <laughs> booze to uh you know say yes but yeah we walked into this old farmhouse and he said what do you think and it was born from there so just i started putting a business plan together um and you know so i designed for the restaurant what facilities we'd have to build uh, and then it just snowballed from there. And he said, look, he said, I'm not in hospitality and I don't have time for this. Um, you're a business partner and you're on full time. So when your contract finishes down there, get on it. And yeah, three years in the build and we've now been open for six months. And what is your vision? How far do you want to take it? Yeah, so the 10 cabins that are existing behind the restaurant, they're in council at the moment to be redeveloped. So, and we've also picked up a, a neighbouring property that's got literally across the road from us that's got another 200 acres that's the the Werriberry holiday cabins so they're operational as we speak and then we also picked up there's an old cafe in the valley it's been around since 1956 it's the tea rooms um the valley once upon a time in the early 1900s used to be full of old tea rooms um this is the last one still standing What's the definition of a tea room? So basically, it was where people, uh, for instance, staying up at the um, Foy, uh, up at um, Mark Foy's hotel, the Hydro Majestic, mm-hmm. they'd do a tour down and they'd have high tea, essentially. So scones, Devonshire tea, um, and there was, I think, there were seven of them dotted throughout the valley, and um, we're we're still in operation. So we picked that up as a business as well, just because we got nothing else to do. And then on top of it, we've got the farm, um, the lot one hundred lot one hundred one farm. Uh, we're raising our own beef. Uh, our own lambs, running chooks for eggs, and um, vegetable production. Um, we're actually wholesaling some of the veg at the moment, and um, we might even go that way with some of the cattle production too. Can you walk me through um, what to expect from a like a F&B point of view? Righto. Um, probably the best way to go through it is um, give you a bit of a, a look into what we had last week. So we start off with a series of snacks. Um, and some of that is, you know, it's been labelled as mundane, but uh, we've just do, we'll do maybe three, five little tiny veg from the farm. And what we're trying to do with that is, and they're just served raw or with some local olive oil, and that's to showcase the vibrancy of flavour when you don't have the the cold transport chain um, and the intensity of flavour that comes with things being harvested literally only a few hours before service. Uh, then what did we have? We had some buckwheat pancakes with some house-made creme fraiche uh, and some brassola that we cured from some of our Speckle Park cattle. Uh, we had a little uh, horseradish and cauliflower mousse with some uh, Yarra Valley caviar and a ponzu that we made with some um, citrus from one of our local guys. Uh, then we moved into... We've got actually... <laughs> it might end up being a side business, but we've been making our own sourdough for a while now and mucking around with recipes and... Uh, It was actually a starter that I made in one of the sheds up there, just harvesting natural yeast over time, but it's been really, really, really well received. We're we're selling the bread out of the cafe up there as well. 
Um, so we do a bread course, and that was just served with some uh, some wood oven leeks and um, some local goat's curd. So we've got Janai goat's curd, uh, with the goat dairy out at Lidsdale. Um, Murray cod, grilled over charcoal with some spigarello, some broad beans, and then a bone broth, like a consomme that we've just made out of the, the cod frame. So trying to do the whole zero waste thing and, and being as thoughtful as we can. And then what was our main course? We just got two beef cattle back from the abattoir for a total of 910 kilos. So we've been very busy on the butcher. We've got a beautiful dry aging facility and we've, we've hung some of that beef for in excess of 140 days. And it's been pretty amazing. So uh, we had some, uh, some of our beef on the other day. It's actually a Wagyu that we lot fed on the farm for a little while, which lot, farm, lot feeding's not really what we want to do, but these cattle were sort of gifted to us, and we thought, well, we won't look, you know, gift horse in the mouth, we'll use it. So we've been fattening those guys up for a while, and that was just with some uh, young garlic, some garlic scapes, because the, the garlic season's starting to get on now. A uh, little pre-dessert. Goat's milk with some pine cone syrup that we made from some local pine trees. Then we had a, a shoe bun. How do you make pine cone syrup? This came about, we went down to help one of the local guys, uh, John, with netting his orchard um, because the birds give everything a flogging. That's another thing that you've got to deal with with primary production is pests. Um, so we were down there netting the orchard and I sort of noticed this big pine next to his house and all the pine cones were really, really young and, and sappy. So we're lucky enough, our assistant restaurant manager, Will, is a very, uh, very talented rock climber. So I said, hey, Will, up the tree. And he came back with a bucket of these green pine cones. And then over two or three days, basically, we, we did basic sugar syrup mm-hmm. and a heap, probably about 25 kilos of pine cones. Um, you bring it up to boil once in, in water alone and you let it set. And basically, it pushes all the resins out and we, you discard all that. And then you take the blanched cones, put them in with a, a sugar syrup, just a one-to-one bring it up to the boil, simmer it for a minute, turn it off. And that was just let it cool completely, process, 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 process. Three days later, you end up with this dark, really sticky syrup. Pine cones go soft. Uh, and then we just we jar it up and heat seal it. Um, but it's, it's amazing. It doesn't mm. – it smells like Christmas, but it's actually – it almost – it's got a flavour of quince and citrus, which is really unexpected. And it's just – it's a really – it's a flavour-rich little thing that – like, if I gave it to you now, you wouldn't call it for pine. Mm-hmm. So – and then, you know, we've also, you know, other local suppliers. You know, we've got um, the little coffee co. Darren's doing a great job out there, and he's just teamed up with the guys from Karu Distillery. So another great mountain story. Um, their also has just taken out um, the best liqueur for their coffee liqueur. So even in the restaurant now, we've got an espresso martini, which is 100% mountains. So we've got um, Karu's um, coffee liqueur, we've got Darren's coffee beans, we've got vodka from the Blue Mountains Gin Company, and yes, it's we're trying to, like I said, if we can't do it on the farm, um, we want to get it as local as possible, and we're starting to get all these amazing producers come out of the woodwork with some really great products, and we're happy to support them. You're really telling that provenance story. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, like everyone... You know, these are small businesses and, and things like that. So, you know, we're, it's, it's, it's advantageous to all of us if we champion each other. Well, how many seats in the restaurant? So 50 seats. Um, it's, a, it's a tasting menu experience. So it could be anywhere between five, seven, nine, depending on how we're feeling on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole idea is that once you've got your table, it's yours for the day. So 
a dining experience is long. Like your average lunch is going for about four and a half hours, and we encourage people to go outside and and see the gardens, to to look at the beehives, go through the berry blocks, the orchard, to really immerse themselves in the food production area. So, yeah, it's um very very homely. Very, it's old, an old homestead, like I said, that we've converted. Um, we even went to the point where. Um, the, all the timber for the tables was milled on the property with some mature trees that we had to cut down to redirect some power lines underground. Um, yeah, it's very casual. Um, I think it's quite refined, but um, we just want people to come and really disconnect. And settle in for the day, for Absolutely. the experience. Yep. And understand where those ingredients are coming from. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the, the term paddock to plate gets thrown around a lot, mm. um, but what we want people to do is like, yeah, so the 90% of what people are dining on in, in the restaurant is actually grown and sourced on our farm. If it's not from our farm, we've got neighbouring, you know, people that raise different bits and pieces. You know, James Leslie does awesome heritage pigs for us in the Canimbla, and then we've got access to a few private orchards down the road that the community's been really welcoming. Um, so, you know, we've constantly got people dropping off baskets of kumquats or plums or, you know, quinces or saying, oh, look, I've got this feral apple tree down the back. So we'll go and net that for next season. And, yeah, it's a good news story. So when you wake up in the morning and you look at what's um, available from a produce point of view, gone are the days where you're looking at your, at, your, at your list from your suppliers and, you know, having to get them in at midnight and that sort of thing. Now you're looking at nature. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's literally what's on hand. And mm. it's really inspiring. So it keeps it very interesting for the staff. Um, I think it took a, a while for a lot of them to get used to how fluid everything was because they'd come from places where things came in pre-portioned, um, everything was very safe, menus stayed on for six, nine months at a time. So it's, um, it's ever-changing, but it's, it's really good fun. Well, let's talk about staff. I imagine um, you would need to look for staff that are like-minded. Obviously, if they're going to yep. come work on the property at Lot 101, they're going to need to have the same ethos and, and value system. Yep. And, and then you're, I would imagine you would be nurturing and mentoring them. The greatest successes that I've ever had with staff wherever, and Boathouse was a good example for, like, for 13 years, is actually bringing people up through the system. Um, so I've been really, really fortunate with Lot 101 and Megalong that I've had how many, three of my Boathouse staff have actually relocated to the mountains to be a part of it. So Vincent Wigman, my restaurant manager, uh, he was with us for the last 12, 18 months at Boathouse and we had a great working relationship. So I managed to get him to, to come on board and then my sous chef up there, uh, Arenio Cantela, he was with me for three years at Boathouse and now a couple of years uh, in the lead up to, to Megalong. And then we've just had um, one of my young apprentices actually gave me a call, um, Patrick. He's, uh, he's come on deck. So it's amazing to have these guys come on because they give me a confidence that you know we don't have to establish um, sort of routines and things like that. We we all work very very well together, and on top of that, we've had some amazing um, mountains talent jump on board as well. Um, not only at the restaurant, but in the cafe and the farm. So it's um, you're building it, a community. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. It, it's more than sort of it. it we actually get like the chefs involved in the production of the food and you know they might go out and harvest some of their own things or they we might help with weeding or seedling production or something like that so there's a as a greater understanding of where their produce is coming from so it's a it's a real learning experience and where are they living 
Um, we've got some staff facilities down there at the moment. We're actually in the process of we're going to put a little staff village together. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the guys will live permanently. Um, like I said, we've got 1,100 acres, so we've got plenty of places to hide people. Um, and then we'll have a, we're going to set up like a shearing shed, a bunkhouse type arrangement where say the guys work a Saturday night and they're back for Sunday lunch. So instead of driving out of the valley, they can go back, they can have a shower, they can do their laundry, they can chill, get a longer rest instead of the two hours on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're just trying to do it. But apart from that, we've got a few guys, the Mount Vic, um, which is just down the way, uh, Katoomba, Blackheath. So, yeah, locals. Well, how do you relax? you got a lot going on. Um, how do I relax? Mm. Oh, look, my hobbies are still my hobbies. I love to fish and I love to hunt. Um, so we're very, very lucky up there that um, a lot of the locals, there's some, some sort of big farms down there, 2,000, 2,500 acres. Um, we've been really welcomed into the community and people let us use their blocks as an extension of um, our farm. So in the afternoons, say on a prep day, might knock off and go for a trout fish down the river or, you know, I only went out with the boys the other day um, and we managed to get a couple of wild goats, um, which we then used for staff meal for a couple of days. Um, even just taking the mountain bike up there, there's plenty of trails, there's beautiful bushwalks. Um, even on the block, I've got a couple of spots where people don't know that I like to go and hide and I'd like, like to keep it that way. That's my peaceful time. A little secret, yeah. secret hideaway. Cup of tea and go for a walk. Nice. Well, if you think back to younger self when you were back at the, um, the golf resort. Yep. What advice would you give? I wouldn't have changed anything with the golf resort. I think when I came to Sydney and these kitchens were these, you know, pressure vessels, you tend to get caught up in it and there's a, you get a fair amount of ego creep in and I suppose all the yelling and argy-bargy sort of rubs off on you and you pick up elements of that along the way. Um, and then kids come along and they, they knock the edge off you. They soften you right up. Um, Look, I wouldn't change a great deal. Um, Advice-wise to any young chef out there now, it's just like it's – I always say to people it's not a career, it's an illness. Um, and I still love a really busy service. I love – That adrenaline The rush. hours. I love the buzz. Yeah. Um, but it's hard work. Um, and like anything, like you, you, you reap what you sow kind of thing. And if you're willing to do the graft and you're willing to do the time and um, it'll pay dividends down the track. So, yeah, just, you know – head down, bum up, and just do the dirty jobs. Well, name someone in the industry that just really inspires you. Um, people that I've worked with, um, Brett Graham in London's probably one of the greatest inspirations. I've never met a food mind like him, like just restless mind. Couldn't mm-hmm. do anything else but think about food. Um, I'm pretty inspired nowadays looking at some of the guys that I've worked with in the past, what they've gone on to do. Um, Food-wise, inspiration, I just picked up a copy of Matt Lindsay's uh, book, Esther. Um, Esther's one of my favourite joints to eat. I think, you know, they're very thoughtful with what they create. Um, Yeah, I mean, inspiration's everywhere. Yeah. If you could only eat one dish for the rest of your life, Colin, what would it be? Oh, now you put me on the spot. (laughs) Look, I always said that my death row meal was, I I love just a good roast chook, Mm -hmm. so a good bird, brined, uh, a couple of days to dry up in the fridge, and it always used to be with boiled cavalonero and bread sauce. That was a bit of a 
that's my comfort food. Um, yeah, probably say that. Anything pork related, give me pork. Um, or maybe just a simple, you know, something, you know, say seafood-wise, you know, if I went and got some kingfish or bonito off the rocks at home, just a, a simple barbecue, simple salad. Not snapper pie. <laughs> you know how I get so many people asking about the snapper pie nowadays to the point where I was actually each Christmas there was a company that used to have their Christmas party at the boathouse. And when they couldn't get their fix, they used to hire a demo kitchen and I'd go in, I'd teach all their staff and we'd cook snapper pie together and then we'd have lunch. So I still knock out a few for there's some regulars from the boathouse that will ring me a couple of times a year and then one of our main seafood suppliers uh, Frankie, he hits me up every now and again. So the pie is not completely gone from my life. Um, you know, in the whole 13 years, I never ate one in its entirety. And For, for what reason? Is it because it didn't appeal to you? It's or? too much of a good thing. Yeah, It ruined me for mashed potato for the rest of right, my life because yep. the amount of mash that we were making on the daily and every service the boys would come up to you with another heaped teasp- uh, tablespoon of mash and say, try this, try this. So mashed potato has been off the menu for a while and uh, the smell of baking puff pastry kind of ruined the local bakery for a bit. But I'm back now. I'm back now. I could probably sit and eat a pie. But what an amazing dish. And to still all these years, there's a demand for it. Um, I suppose it's probably one of the most iconic signature dishes. That And it was very clever. It was a clever dish. Once you're on top of the prep, um, it was, I used to call it a chef de party wrapped in puff pastry because it did all the work for you. But... um, yeah, I don't. I, I only went the other. Actually, the last time I did snapper pies for somebody, um, the cost of snapper now has trebled since we last bought it, and uh, I would hate to have the the doors of the boathouse open now to mm. to think what it would cost to put a snapper pie together. Well, I'm so thrilled that we're able to to do this podcast today, and I mean, straight to the source. The podcast is very much about big ideas and viewpoints, and and. Um, food views and big ideas. And you definitely, um, you know, your uh, big idea in, in actually venturing into Lot 101 and doing it your way and taking all of your lessons throughout your career and now having the opportunity to kind of spread your rings and live off the land and cook off the land. It's pretty, it's pretty inspiring, you know, and uh, I'm very lucky to have uh, the support of the business partners that I do. And for them... For us all together, we want to show that you can raise cattle, produce vegetables, produce fruit, all the bits and pieces, and you can have a positive impact on the land. Um, The farm, when we picked it up, was like a lot of properties out there, just mismanaged, overgrazed, compacted, just, you know, it it was a junk heap, essentially, when we got it. And slowly, slowly, like three growing seasons now, and you see the health in the soils, and you see how the pastures are ba- bounced back with the rotational grazing rather than just letting animals roam willy-nilly, do what they want. Um, you know, all the the projects that we've got going on with, you know, the, the bushland and the water and things like that, it's a, it's a good news story. And we just want to show people that you can actually produce great food and have a positive income on the uh, – positive outcome on the land. So for our listeners, if they want a book, do you release dates, what, two or three months in advance? Three or? months in advance. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, the cafe's seven days a week and uh, the accommodations at the moment are seven days a week. The restaurant is, is open Thursdays through Sundays, so Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday lunch and dinner, and then a long lunch on Sunday 
I think for me, Sunday is the, the quintessential service. Um, it's long, it's boozy, and uh, you can sit and take the, uh, the, the escarpment in while you're doing it all. Or uh, book a cabin. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's, the, that's phase two with the, the new cabins coming on. Um, they're going to be done by the, the same construction crew that did the restaurant. So they're going to be high-end. They're going to be you know, beautiful fit and finish. They're nestled up in bushland only uh, 200 metres in a straight line from the restaurant. Uh, and then the whole idea is we've, you actually walk through one of our, our gardens. Um, we've got nine beds, um, probably an acre and a half in, in size, um, so the whole idea is that the customers, when they come down, the, the path's illuminated, they walk through the food production area and then into the restaurant. So just trying to get people to immerse and switch off. And you're literally how far away? Sydney, door-to-door, two hours. Um, drive yourself up to Katoomba, go through to Blackheath, and then it's about a 15-minute run from Blackheath down the valley. And that's actually one of the fav- my favourite parts, and we actually get a lot of feedback from customers, is when you turn off and you drive down the valley... Uh, it's a bit of a goat track at the moment because we've had terrible rain and landslides and all that. I'm really selling it, aren't I? <laughs> um, but you actually go through this rainforest on your way in and it's literally a tunnel. And you've got, the, you know, you've got a creek running beside you and you've got these tree ferns growing over the top. And I actually call that area the disconnect because that's, that's where you cut the cord from civilization, And yeah, it's, you come out the other end and it opens up into you know, beautiful paddocks and, and plains country and our farm's tucked in on the right. So for me, the dining experience actually happens halfway up Megalong Road. Oh, mate. Well, um, Colin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. I just, I just love it. It's been a bit too long, so yeah. yeah. I'll have you up for lunch soon. Yeah, I think I'll pick a Sunday. Done. So for the listeners, we will put in the show notes all the link to, to Lot 101 and Colin's, um, your Instagram account and all of that. So if um, people want to hop on your website, they can have a look and book. And, and um, yeah, all the best. I'm really excited for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We really hope you enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed the conversation. You'll find links to anything mentioned in today's chat in the show notes. We have some more extraordinary guests lined up and we would love you to join us again. So please make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes. We'd also love to hear any of your feedback, good or bad, or perhaps you've got a guest you'd love to hear from. You can let us know. And the best way to stay up to date with what we're doing, who we're talking to and where you'll find us around the country is to become part of the Straight to the Source community at straighttothesource.com.au forward slash community. Until next time.